Finally, we have an expert in the field of neuroscience and neurology who breaks down the complex concepts and demystifies the workings of the brain while putting the power back in our hands. Through his thoughts and reflections on neuroplasticity and neuroinfluences, Dr. Philippe Doyon, a physician and neurologist, unlocks the true power of the brain to help us heal and reach our full potential. And this is a quote from Dr. Sidor, quadruple board certified psychiatrist who reviews the book of our next guest, Dr. Philippe Doyon. Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, where we cover the science-based evidence behind social and emotional learning for schools and emotional intelligence training in the workplace with tools, ideas, and strategies that we can all use for immediate results with our brain and mind. I'm Andrea Samadhi, an author and an educator with a passion for learning, specifically on the topics of health, well-being, and productivity, and launched this podcast to share how important an understanding of our brain is for our everyday life and results using the most current brain research. On today's episode number 241, we'll be speaking heart to heart with Dr. Philippe Doyon. He's a board certified neurologist who has a unique outlook of approaching life when it comes to health and overcoming chronic disease or any serious challenge that might be unexpectedly thrown our way, taking us by surprise. Not only has Dr. Doyon's philosophy helped countless patients with medical, neurological, and mental health disorders, but it's the same philosophy he used himself to overcome kidney failure, COVID, dialysis, and undergo a successful kidney transplant. He's the author of the book, Neuroplasticity, your brain superpower that focuses on how to use our brain's ability to adapt and learn to heal to overcome life's serious challenges. He also has an online course called Take Charge of Your Brain that teaches us how our lifestyle choices directly influence our brain and health. I'm not going to hold back with my questions as I'm certain that the research is loud and clear that many neurological disorders that we've been talking about on this podcast like Alzheimer's, dementia, stroke, or Parkinson's disease can all be prevented with lifestyle changes. What I love about Dr. Doyon's work is that everything he shares about health and well-being is what I learned years ago in the personal development industry that he now matches with the most current brain research. Concepts like our thoughts really do matter when it comes to our mental and physical health and well-being how to stop victim mentality or that poor me thinking, especially when it comes to our neurological makeup, how to increase our levels of success, even when we've lost hope with our health. As a board certified neurologist, Dr. Doyon shows us how we in fact can take charge of our health with our brain in mind. He believes that success in life and business start in the brain, and he's on a mission to spread his empowering message that we can rewire our brain to create the life we're meant to live of health and happiness, regardless of our age and all without prescribing a pill. 
Let's meet Dr. Philippe Doyon, connect our brain to our health and well-being, and take everything he says seriously as if our lives and futures really do depend on it. Welcome, Dr. Philippe Doyon. It's so wonderful to meet you, especially after listening to some of your recent podcasts and hearing your story. I'm sure I'm not the only one to tell you that your perspective to health and life is unconventional. Am I right? Well, first of all, I'm super excited to be here. So thank you for, for inviting me. And yeah, you know, I think when you face your mortality and you are around death, uh, as, I, as I tend to be, um, it definitely does change your perspective on life and the way that we should go about our lives. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, Dr. Doyan, your story caught my attention because I spent six years working in the motivational speaking industry, and it was with a speaker who helped everyone around the world understand how to change our thinking. And this was in regards to everything, like our health, our wealth, and our mental and physical well-being. So where did you learn this secret to life with the way that we think connected to our brain health and well-being? So what's your story and who did you study? So those, that, those are really great questions. So for me, it started really young. It started when I was 18. I was a freshman in college. I was a college scholarship athlete. Um, and within my first few weeks of being in school, my life had completely changed. And the reason being, I had failed my physical. Um, you know, and, and so when I failed my physical the first time, the doctors were like, hey, don't worry about it. Just come back in a few days and we'll retest you. Sure, everything would, would be fine. And I grew up playing and competing in tennis. So that was my sport in college. And so the team was shocked to find out that I had failed my physical. Um, so I go back a couple of days later, retest, and I fail again. And what this is supposed to mean is that you're not supposed to be able to compete, right? Uh, but this time we had like a, a pretty big tennis tournament coming up. So they were like, listen, go compete. We'll clear you to compete. We'll figure this out, you know, over the next few weeks. And then I go to compete. And as I am playing my second tennis match of the day and I go up to serve, I just collapse. My body goes into one huge spasm and I cannot move. And I am laying on this tennis court, completely unable to move. And when the tournament organizers realize, like, uh, he's not going to be able to finish his match, they pick me up by my hands and feet, move me to the back of the court, and just lay me there for the next hour. <laughs> right? And I've got, like, tennis balls, like, hitting me, and I, I just can't move at all. And until finally somebody decides to call the ambulance, and, and I go to the hospital. But within weeks, I was diagnosed with kidney failure. Right at a time in my life where I'm supposed to be invincible, right, as an 18, 19 year old kid. And so I went through college in kidney failure. I went through medical school in kidney failure. And when people ask me, how did I do that? The reality is that I never really focused on it. Right? There was, for me, there was a bigger picture. It was like, oh, I got to get through college. Oh, I want to be a doctor. I got to get through medical school. Right? So I never really identified with my diagnosis in that way. If anything, it was more of like a nuisance. And I think that was sort of the start for me about how important mindset is in overcoming the challenges in our lives. Oh, for sure. Who did you study? Did you learn this from anyone? Or, you know, were, were you reading someone's books? Or 
Well, I was definitely reading people's books to get me through medical school. <laughs> like, I was like, you know, books besides like what I was supposed to be focused on. I was like, this medical school thing is no joke. Yeah. Like, I need to start reading some doctors who have gotten through this <laughs> to see what they have done. Right. Um, so Oliver Sacks, I was I was a big Oliver Sacks fan. Right. Um, Comes up uh, all the time when I'm when I'm interviewing, for sure. Yeah. You yeah. know. I, I I read Dr. Benjamin Carson because he's a, neuro, uh, a neurosurgeon and his story back then was really compelling for me. Um, so there were people that I read that helped me get through, right? And there were people that were in that sort of neuroscience field. Well, this is an incredible story. And, you know, when I was listening to your podcast and you're talking about it, I was thinking that, you know, when illness hits, many times we're not just sitting here waiting for it going, okay, I'm prepared for this. It usually catches us off guard when we least expect it. So what did you notice was missing in medical school with this mind brain connection? And how did you prepare your own mind and body to heal when you got caught off guard with your health? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. You know, you just all of a sudden, like you're perfectly fine. And then suddenly one day you're not, right? And the reality is that illness builds up in our bodies, but it doesn't show itself until the very end. Our All of our organs have this um, incredible capacity. Like we can lose a lot of organ function and we'd still be completely fine. And then there's like a tipping point, right? And the reality is that medical school is about disease, and prescriptions and procedures. It is very much a sick care education. Uh, it does not teach us just how powerful um, our brains are or how to overcome uh, challenges. And so for me, it was uh, really in the way that I was living my life at the time, because here I am you know, in medical school and in medical school, I started to get actually really sick. Um, could not even go to my classes that second year of medical school. I had to do, you know, for the most part, all of my stuff from home, all of my studying from home. Um, but again, it, it was about having a big picture, a bigger picture. And for me, the brain controls everything about who we are. Right? One of the things that the tagline for my company, and it's on our wristbands, it's on our T-shirts, is one brain, one body. And recently, I've modified that to one brain, one body, one life. But the reality is that our brain controls everything about who we are, how we overcome obstacles, um, and the lives that we create for ourselves. And the challenge becomes taking charge of our brains. The challenge becomes realizing that we are not our brains. The fact that we are aware of our brains, that we are aware of our thoughts, suggests that we are a much higher power than the brain is. And it's about learning how to take charge of it. So here's here's a, a story that I want to kind of tell you about. Um, my mom in her late 40s overcame uterine cancer. And she used this mental mindset model to do it where she would imagine each part of her body from head to toe. And she would imagine like an ax chopping up the cancer cells. And I don't know where she learned this from, but, you know, back then, if I was to tell anybody, well, you know, this is what my mom's doing, they would say, you're crazy. There's no way that's going to work. But she was the only one in her group that remains cancer free today. 
Yeah. And then her surgeon asked her to come back and share this strategy with the group. And, and I'm not sure if she did or not, but as a medical doctor, what do you think about the power of positive thinking when you have something like life-threatening, you know, and she was told you don't have much of a, a chance for survival. It was a very slim survival rate, but um, how important is our mindset to our healing when faced with a life-threatening disease? It's incredibly important. Like we know in medicine that people who have a positive mindset do better than people who have a negative mindset, right? So that that story of your mom is a story that I've heard oftentimes, right? I mean, I can tell you there's this uh, patient that I once took care of who had uh, GBM, which is the worst form of brain cancer. It's the kind of brain cancer that John McCain had. And so usually the prognosis is, regardless of what happens within 16 months, pretty much that person is going to pass away. Um, this woman was living 20 plus years with GBM. Wow. And the reason being, it was no way that she lived her life. It's not that she didn't, she didn't do any uh, chemo, she didn't do any experimental procedures. It was all about the way that she lived her life. She loved to laugh, she loved to enjoy life, she minimized her stress, right? She made plans for the future. A positive, mental attitude, a positive mindset is probably the most important thing, most important weapon that you have against any illness. Now, how how easy or how difficult is it for some people to do that? Like, it seems like it was easy for you to go, oh, I've, I see the bigger picture and act on it. But do other people really struggle with that? It's really difficult. I mean, so I, I've had two kidney transplants now. So I've been I've been certainly blessed and I am grateful to my donors. My first donor uh, was my father eight days after I graduated medical school. And my second donor was my cousin-in-law, Scott, last year. So somebody who's not even blood related to me. But when I was in my 20s, you know, I was there. I had my moments where I was angry, where I was frustrated, where I was like, why me? Like, this isn't fair. I never drank. I never did drugs. Like, like what is going on, you know? Um, and so it can be really, really difficult, especially when you are facing your mortality. Mm -hmm. Right? So that that is really difficult for um, a lot of people. And it's really, and, and the way that medicine is set up, that healthcare is set up, you don't really get a lot of time with your doctors. Right. right. So so in these moments where um, you are so vulnerable and you really need somebody to listen to what you're going through and to talk uh, you through it. Mm -hmm. Well, the system is not built for that. Right. And, and a lot of doctors are not trained to do that. Yeah. Right. Right. And so who do these patients then go to? Because the 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 experts in those fields are basically like, OK, Here's the medication that you're going to take that most people can't even pronounce. Here's the procedure that we're going to do that most people don't even understand. And it's it's a very difficult time. So change needed to happen. So I was reading your book, Neuroplasticity, Your Brain's Superpower, and I really couldn't miss what your colleagues in the medical field said. This one guy, Dr. Sidor, a quadruple board certified psychiatrist said, finally, we have an expert in the field of neuroscience and neurology who breaks down the complex concepts and demystifies the working of the brain while putting the power back in our hands. Now, this is this is everything, right? This is your message. This is 
what you're doing, but there's only one of you. So, you know, how are you going to make this movement to make change uh, with, with your story and everything you're doing and help us all to move past whatever is happening when we get hit with that illness? Yeah. So, you know, so I still see patients sometimes in that traditional sort of doctor way. But when I was fully immersed in traditional healthcare, you know, working anywhere from 80 to 100 hours a week, I was very limited, right? I could only see patients one at a time, maybe for 15 or 30 minutes, whatever insurance allowed or my schedule allowed for that day. Since breaking away from that, I have this amazing opportunity to serve so many more people, whether it is through your podcast and all of your listeners or when I'm giving a, a speech somewhere, or if it's through my online course. You know, I was talking to somebody recently and I said, um, the reality is somebody can be reading my book that I've never met, right? Somebody can be listening to my podcast that I will never have a conversation with, or somebody can be in my course. Those people are being impacted by my story, by my knowledge and skill set you know, in ways that I could not do a few years ago. And so it's, yep. yeah, and so it's using sort of modern technology to get that message out. Yep. And the podcasting is really cool because when I launched this three years ago, I just did it um, to bring awareness to um, the field of uh, neuroscience into our schools. And <laughs> I had no idea I was going to go into 168 countries by, by now, like fast forward three years I didn't even know how many countries there were in the world without Googling <laughs> it. But yeah, the, the reach is insane. I just wonder who are all these listeners looking in different parts of the world. And this stuff is so fascinating to me. And, and it's fascinating to other people. That's why they're tuning in. So thank you yeah. so much for doing this. This is this is I wouldn't have the podcast without guests and, and listeners. Well, well, thank you for the work that you do. Because that has to be an amazing feeling when when somebody reaches out to you from Australia or Africa or somewhere in Europe, right? And knowing that wow. your work is impacting them. Yeah, this is it's definitely motivating and keeps me going. But uh, let's get back to your story because there's so much more I want to cover. Um, when you were faced with dialysis and you decided to do it your way, I love this story because I'm just picturing you doing it your way. And, yep. you know, it all, all almost reminded me of my mom. She's like, no, I'm going to heal cancer my way. And even when I've had surgery and I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm not going to just sit here and waste this. They said, you know, it's six weeks that you can't do what you're used to doing. I'm like, what am I going to do in six weeks? <laughs> well, I better be studying something. So, you know, what did you do that was different? And what did other people say when they were watching what you were doing compared to what they were doing? Yeah. So the funny thing is, so the first time um, that I needed a transplant, I avoided dialysis. Right. So I went, like I said, through college, through medical school, and then had a kidney transplant eight days after graduating medical school. And so the plan uh, for me, because after about 13 years, I was starting to see some uh, more dysfunction in the kidney. So I knew I was going to need a transplant. And so the plan for me was to hopefully be able to do it the same way, completely avoid dialysis. And then the pandemic hit. And I was like, oh, 
I cannot get this virus because <laughs> there's a good chance I will not survive this virus. So after a year of essentially quarantining, I came down with COVID. And I was hospitalized for COVID for two weeks. And the first day in the ER when um, I found out that I had COVID, the team of doctors, nephrologists, kidney specialists came to me and they said, hey, your, your creatinine, your, your kidney function is really bad. You're going to need dialysis. And so in that moment, you know, like I, I cried. It was my biggest fear. And the reason that it was my biggest fear was because everybody I had seen doing dialysis in the hospital looked like they were just waiting to die. And I was just like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So I let myself feel those emotions for the next couple of hours. And then in that moment, I realized, oh, no, no, I'm going to do this my way. Right. And so for me, when I was doing dialysis my way, I was traveling on dialysis because they're you know, dialysis centers all over the country. Wow. If your home base is New York, like mine was, right. So they will set up for you to do dialysis wherever you're going to be, as long as you give them a heads up. Like they tend to want three weeks, but there were times I was like, hey, in five days, I'm going to go away. <laughs> like find uh -oh. me a spot. <laughs> I had no right? idea that, that was possible. Yeah. And then I, I had a local news agency that was kind of following me. So I had to take videos and pictures in the dialysis center, which they were not crazy about. Um, I used that time for personal and professional development. I took meetings while on dialysis. And I certainly rested. I listened to my body. I rested. But that doing those things kept me going. I continued to work. Right. So like I would see patients virtually right up until I had to do dialysis and then you know, so I, I kept up my life as much as possible. And that was really important for me. And again, it was like, I'm not so focused on the challenge, right? There's a bigger picture here. Right. And I'm sure that really helped you transition from being sick to being well. It was yeah. A transition for you. Well, not only that. So I would play, I've got two sons. They're now 11 and nine years old. And so I'm, I I'm very active, you know, they're very active. So I remember one time I had this permacath implanted in my chest. That was the port for dialysis. And I'm out playing basketball with my sons, them against me. And they're, one, my youngest says something like about me being sick. And I was like, what are you talking about? I am kicking your butt in basketball right now. Like, yeah, like I am not, how right? everything we shift, how we think yeah. about everything. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I want to hear your honest answer with this. And I actually changed this question on Monday after I listened to Dr. Andrew Huberman's podcast on Monday morning. So I, I definitely don't want you to sugarcoat this answer um, for me because uh, I want to hear honestly what you have to say. And it has to do with like the, the fact health is really important to me. And we'll we'll go into the top five health staples after this question. But I'm pretty good at eating healthy foods and keeping healthy. And I'm sure that you know uh, exactly what works for your body and, and what doesn't going through all that you've gone through. But I was listening to Dr. Andrew Huberman's podcast, and he was talking about the impact of alcohol on our brain. And he makes a clear cut case that even for moderate drinkers, 
that there's absolutely zero benefits, um, you know, that it's, it's you putting a carcinogen in your body. So, you know, I just wonder, what have you seen with people that are on their path to well-being or even prevention with choosing what we now know um, through science to be unhealthy foods? And I know your case on soda, but I want to hear that story <laughs> because, you know, why would we be putting stuff in our body that no is going to make us unwell? And what could you say about that with neurological disorders, with prevention and getting well? Just yeah. So that's a great, great question. Alcohol is the biggest poison that we put into our bodies. It has no benefit at all. Like this idea that one glass of wine per day is good for your cardiovascular system, good for your heart is absolute BS. And I don't know if I can curse on your show. So it's absolute BS. <laughs> don't seem to do in this question. Right? I think we need I to mean, it, it is, alcohol is responsible for more than 200 diseases. It is responsible with for every major crime, right? It is the number one date rape drug. It's responsible with a certain amount of house fires, accidental drownings, assaults. Um, it is one of the leading causes of dementia, which everybody is terrified of getting Alzheimer's. Right. Well, you know, Alzheimer's is a lifestyle disease, right? Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. Stop drinking alcohol. Alcohol literally, people don't realize that when you go out and you get tipsy or you get dr drunk, it's because of the negative impact alcohol is having on your neurons. It is causing dysfunction in your neurons. And if you go out for like a night of drinking, alcohol will actually shrink your brain, right? If you just do it one night, Right? Your brain will rehydrate and plump back up. However, if you're somebody who drinks often, well, you're going to do lasting damage. Right? And that's when we see people develop dementia. People can develop epilepsy. Certainly the impact that alcohol has on the heart and the blood vessels puts people at risk for strokes. It is the worst thing that you could do, but it's also the most brilliant brainwashing in marketing. Right. <laughs> what what I found interesting is that he even made a case for the fact that even moderate drinkers, like I thought I was being smart by measuring how much poison I was putting in. Like I know how many ounces I drink and and I measure with a whoop device where my recovery is. And I'm like, okay, I can get away with this amount until I heard him say no amount is okay. Now now we're yeah. like there is, you can't get away with any, not being a moderate drinker at all. You're poisoning yourself and then your body is going to have damage. Your brain is going to thin, just everything you said. Yeah. I mean, so a few years ago, I remember seeing a patient, very successful man. You know, he had his own business. He was a multimillionaire. Uh, he drank, you know, often. I mean, he wasn't, you wouldn't consider him like an alcoholic, but he was a functional alcoholic. He moderately sort of drank. And now the damage was irreversible. He was, he was having a lot of cognitive issues. And his wife said to me, hey, can you reverse this over the next couple of days? And I was like, he's been doing this for the last 20 years. <laughs> like, like this is, he's not going to get better over the next couple of days. You know, like you, you got to take that alcohol away forever. You've got to, you know, have him do things that are healthy for the brain. And even at that point, there's no guarantee that he's going to be back to what he was before. Well, I just thought it was a responsible question to put in here to make sure that we all know 
because I, I had surely had a wake up call listening to that recent podcast that, uh, that, that pretty much put it in our faces that, uh, that it's it's a known carcinogen and when we're yep. choosing just be aware instead of saying oh you know um let's have a drink together we're saying let's knowingly take a carcinogen and poison ourselves right. that's kind of what we're doing right absolutely and the reality is the choices that you make every day not only do they have an impact but now when you are forced to go to a doctor or potentially a hospital with an emergency you're literally putting your healthcare providers between a rock and a hard place where they have to now make decisions with giving you medications that may potentially help you, but, you know, can have significant side effects, right? So as a neurologist, one of the decisions that I have to make, especially when seeing stroke patients, is whether to give a med uh, medication called TPA, right? Which is sort of the standard, uh, the evaluation of which is the standard of care. Now, Certainly, if somebody needs that medication, you want to give it to them. But that medication comes with a 6 to 7% chance of a catastrophic bleed potentially in your brain, right? And I have seen that happen where somebody is now bleeding because uh, – where somebody you know is going to pass away because of they're, they're bleeding so badly. Well, if you're somebody who drinks alcohol and now it's putting you at risk for a stroke – you are not putting your doctors in that position where they have to potentially give you a drug that may work for 90% of the people really well, but may not work for you. Interesting. Interesting. So let's go to health and wellness because our podcast took a turn this way, kind of about August of 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. And so I created these top five health staples that I thought were important to cover. And, you know, it seemed like exercise solved everything, getting a good quality sleep. So we've centered our podcast around these five health staples, eating a healthy diet, optimizing our microbiome and an intermittent fasting. And so if if you were to look at my top five health staples, how would you compare it with your pyramid of neurological health? Am I missing yep. anything? So I, I love your top five staples. Yeah. I would certainly, and I don't think people realize just how important keeping a healthy microbiome is. I don't think people realize the importance of fasting, right? It takes work for your body to break down food. And as a byproduct of that work, toxins build up, right? You, you need to give your body a break sometimes right? from, from all of that. So that's incredibly important. I would certainly add find healthy ways to minimize stress or to relieve stress, right? Because stress is a silent killer. Stress not only is harmful to your body, but also to your brain. It kills neurons in the parts of your brain responsible for making new memories, right? So a lot of people will come to me and they'll have um, issues with memory or signs of dementia, and it's about minimizing their stress. The other thing that I would add is that we need to constantly be learning. We need to constantly be evolving. I've seen so many people who stayed at a job for 30, 40 years and did fine. And the moment they retired, it was like all these cognitive issues come up because they can no longer mask the fact that they hadn't learned anything new in the last 30, 40 years. They just did the same thing over and over. And you want to do things that are going to allow your brain to make new neurons and new connections and keep your brain young and healthy. So exercise is part of that. 
getting good night's sleep is part of that. Eating healthy is part of that. Minimizing stress is part of that, but also constantly learning. And then applying what we're learning, because when I heard Dr. Huberman talking about how alcohol actually disrupts our microbiome, I thought, well, hey, I won't take an Advil, but I'm going to have a glass of wine with my dinner that's doing the same thing. What's going on? So it's it's now it's the hard part is applying what we're learning, right? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that was is fascinating with the pandemic, especially the conversations about vaccinations and people not being sure what's in in vaccines the reality is nobody is sure what's in anything that they take in regardless right, right. <laughs> nobody knows what's in the alcohol and the alcohol is a poison right. nobody knows what's in the, the can of soda that's a poison nobody knows what's in their fast food that's poisonous right so people are picking and choosing what they sort of focus on in terms of well we don't know what that's it, what's in there but every day they're taking all these things that are so hazardous to every aspect of their health and well-being. And and it's crazy because like let's say I was um, sitting with my kids in the car and and they know all the foods that are cancer causing. They all know these things like you know those chips they're called takis. They're like hot y- spicy yes. things. They love those and they're <laughs> totally cancer causing. And I have a list of things that I won't buy. And so when I was, I was telling them, you know, about this podcast and what we're going to be talking about, they're rolling their eyes going, everything is cancer causing. What are we going to be able to eat now? And so what do you say to someone like that or to the woman that didn't want to give up soda? You know, she was having seizures and she was like, you'll never take my soda away. Right. What, What do you say to someone that just won't give up that thing? Yeah. So, and I think you're referencing the uh, epilepsy patient I had who had had like two epilepsy surgeries, uh, had been on all these medications her entire life. She was 30 plus years old, finally got her to a place where she she was seizure free for six months by taking soda out of her diet and then comes into the ER. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? Why, Why are you having seizures? And she had two one liter bottles of Pepsi. And she was like, you were never taking soda out of my diet again. And so sometimes, right, as a doctor, you're just like, oh, my God, like, I cannot help you if you do not want to help yourself. Because clearly, right, this idea that a medication is going to solve all your issues, that's not working for you. You're on six different medications for these seizures, and it's not helping you. We found something that helps, but your brain is so addicted to this other thing that, you know, you, you can't sort of um, move away from that. Right. And then it's kind of realizing, okay, well, maybe when I cut this out, I cut this out a little too cold turkey. (laughs) Maybe what I need to do is now, if she's open to it, wean her off the soda. So instead of the three, four liter bottles you're drinking a day, I'll make a deal with you. Let's do two liter bottles a day. We'll see how you do. And then you come back to see me in a few weeks and we'll we'll try to cut it down a little bit more. So you have to meet people where they're at and figure out what their goals are, because the reality is you and I might be like, oh, her goal is to be seizure free. Well, but maybe that's not her goal. Right. Maybe there are maybe her goal is to have less seizures. Maybe there's certain things that she's getting from having um, this disorder that are benefiting her, right? All the attention, all the care. So so health is really complicated and you've got to meet people where they're at, understand what their goals are, 
what they feel like some of their limitations are and work around that. Now, kind of here we go back to personal development. And anytime I've thought about behavior change in someone, it goes back there, you know, to in order for me to change my behavior around anything, it's usually been someone has said something to me, someone that I respect has said something to me that's really made me think about my behavior. And it could be a look like, let's say you looked at me and said, Andrea, come on, maybe you're my coach or my doctor. And you're like, Andrea, those couple glasses of wine you're having with your husband on the weekend, did you know what it's doing to your brain? If you were to look at me and you'd give me that look, you know, you probably have done it to your patients. Yep. That would be enough to, to be like, oh, wow, you're right. And then change the behavior. Yeah. You know, like you just said, there are so many different aspects to behavior change that we need to understand in people to meet them where they are. And so how do you know that? How do you have to, how do you figure that out in each person to make the behaviors change and stick? Yeah, I think one of the things that has always made me a very good doctor is that I'm not the person that you're going to come into the office, see for five minutes, I'm going to give you a pill and walk away. Like, we are going to talk about who you are. I'm going to share my story with you so you get to know who I am. I want to know what motivates you in life, right? I want to know what the vision is for your life, because all of that plays a role in your health. I want to know what the traumas have been, right? And that you're still trying to work through, or maybe you haven't healed from, and that's what's really causing some of these underlying issues. Like, I want us to get to a place where we are having those kind of conversations. Because my perspective has always been, when somebody comes to see me, yes, I may be the expert on the brain, but they are the expert on them, right? And so it's two experts coming together to now figure out a way to make your health and your life better. That does not happen in a five-minute visit no. with the, the passage of just a, a prescription. That takes really getting to know the person. I had an experience a few years ago where this woman comes in and she has a stroke. Prior, she didn't really have any medical history. But she's got a stroke, she's got high blood pressure, she's uh, struggling to breathe, uh, she's got all these issues, right? So I'm walking to her room and there is the pulmonologist, there's the primary care doctor, there's her, her bedside nurse. And so they're talking about all the medications she's gonna be discharged on, which is she's gonna go from zero meds to like 10 prescriptions, right? <laughs> and so I said to them, well, you know, the issues for everything her struggling to breathe, her high blood pressure, and the stroke is the fact that she's overweight. So why don't we talk to her about the fact that she's overweight and address that, and then, you know, kind of take things from there. And hopefully she won't need all these medications going forward. And so they were like, oh, if we do that, she can give us a bad review. And I was like, as doctors, you're worried about your reviews? Like, I've never even thought to be worried about <laughs> my online reviews. So I was like, okay, you guys do your thing. I'm going to go in there and have a conversation with her, right? And you find a really nice way to be like, listen, you're overweight. You got you to gotta lose weight. This is the cause of everything. Right. right? But you, you've got doctors now, we're pressed for time, right? We got to see as many patients as possible. It's emotionally draining, physically draining. It's traumatizing all things you don't get to work through. And then now you're worried about how people are gonna view you. And we're sort of living in a society too where everybody's hypersensitive. You can't really be honest about certain things, right? So it makes these things a little bit more complicated. 
It does because in order to get to the behavior change, you have to hit some sort of uncomfortableness like you just did with the woman who was yeah. overweight. We have to hit like no sugarcoating. We've got to get to what the challenges are and no one's going to like behavior change and getting rid yeah. of the things they like. It's just, you know, there's like you said in the beginning, there's a bigger picture of everything. Yeah. So from listening to your Brain Profits podcast, I can really see what your mission is and it, and it's come out. Um, it's really to help us to all take control of our brain when it comes to our overall health. But what have we missed? Has there been anything that we haven't included with the questions that I've done for you for your mission? Yeah, you know, I think that everybody needs a reason to wake up in the morning. Everybody needs a purpose in life and everybody I believe has a purpose in life, whether they get to explore that and carry that out, maybe some, you know, is sort of a different question. But I have seen people often come to me and they're starting to exhibit some neurological signs. And it's really because they're not doing anything. Right. So <laughs> one story that I, I remember is a, a patient comes in, she comes in with her son and her daughter-in-law. And the son is really concerned. He's like, hey, oh, last six months, she's like having memory problems. She's she's like demented. And I'm like, oh, over the last six months. And I was like, what happened six months ago? And he's like, oh, nothing. I was like, well, what does she do every day? He's like, oh, she watches our children. And I was like, before six months ago, she wasn't watching your children? He was like, no, she was living in their home country. And then they brought her to the US uh, to watch their children. And I said, oh. I was like, well, what was she doing in her home country? And he was like, well, she had her friends. She loved gardening. She would go out. She would do this. She would do that. And I was like, so you took her out of her life <laughs> so she could watch your kids. I was like, she's, I mean, she's yeah. not living her life. She has no reason for getting up in the morning. I'm sure she loves her grandchildren, but that is not her reason for being, Right. Right. And so when you take that away from people, that often shows itself as some neurological issue or some medical issue. Wow. And so I think it's really important for us to, all to have a reason to get up in the morning. And that reason, I believe, shouldn't necessarily be focused on us. It's about doing what we can to make this world better, to make other people's lives better. 100%. Wow. So... What do you think should be a wake up call for all of us to really take our health and well-being and, and our brain health seriously? Uh, things always are coming out in research every day. We're learning something new. But what do you think is one or two things we should take away about the importance of preventative medicine for ourselves or preventative actions we should take a couple of yeah. things? Well, I think people can just look to the last few years, right? Especially in this pandemic and how stressful it has been on every level, right? We've seen people pass away who, you know, we would have never expected to pass away. Um, the stress of sort of losing jobs, not having the same amount of money coming in, not knowing what the future holds, right? And for me, it was a great time to sort of look at my life and see where I wanted to make changes. I knew I did not want to come out of the pandemic the same man that I was going into the pandemic. And it offered me that, that opportunity. And 
what I think, this is something that my course builds up to, which is what I believe is the um, reason to life. You know how when people are like, well, what's the meaning of life? Like, why are we here? Right. I think that the meaning of life is evolution. And it's not about the evolution of the species. I think it's about the evolution of the individual. I think that every day we need to be working towards being better and better versions of ourselves. That we need to constantly be evolving. Total why, which is why we do this podcast. This has been phenomenal, Dr. Doyon. For people who want to learn more about your work, I'm going to put all the links in to your website, your book, your online courses in the show notes. And I want to thank you so much for bringing credibility through science and research to the positive thinking movement that I learned many years ago, but where doctors would then prescribe a pill over many of the strategies that you've shared today. I want to thank you so much for spearheading the way and showing us how our health and well-being can really be within our control. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. I've enjoyed every minute. Thank you. Some final thoughts as we close out this episode. I think it came at the perfect time for me to think back to the beginning of this year when we looked at how we would achieve new results to make 2022 our best year ever and do things in a wildly different way than we have previously and the importance of learning and applying new and specialized knowledge to our lives in order to move beyond where we've ever been before. This is exactly what Dr. Doyon's online course, Taking Charge of Your Brain, is all about. I highly encourage following Dr. Doyon's work, reading his book, and tuning into his podcast, especially if you have an area of your life that you want to improve in the area of health and wellness. I've already made some notes of where I'll be making changes, and it's all focused around the understanding that we have one brain, one body, and one life, and the choices I'm making today are either rewiring my brain for health and happiness, or they're not. I hope you'll join me in looking for areas of your life that you also want to improve, and I'll see you on Friday. you're enjoying the neuroscience meets social and emotional learning podcast please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes while you're there please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us for more information on our programs books and tools for schools and the workplace visit us at www.achieveit360.com <laughs>